Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, it's important to remember that the makeup of the church here in 2 Corinthians is different from 1 Corinthians, especially the early part of 1 Corinthians. So you have a picture of the... Remember when we were in 1 Corinthians and you see the division that happens in chapter 5? When Paul says in chapter 3, you know, I, I wish I could speak to you as mature, but you guys are still babies for you are still carnal. And so you see the, the risk involved with being young in Christ. Now, it is beautiful to be young in Christ, but then without maturity, you see the danger because you have an abundance of the works of the flesh. And so inspired of the Spirit, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth and says, okay, you know, anybody involved with this, sexual immorality, uh, drunkenness, reviler, all these things, separate. That is leaven inside the church. He says, your rejoicing isn't a good thing. It is not good. The sexual sin, you know, the reviling, uh, uh, extortion, these are works of the flesh. And in the abundance of the works of the flesh, you know, it comes to a point where it's okay, no more. This can't happen. This is leaven. It's a New Testament example of what we see in the Old Testament with regard to leprosy. Leprosy, uncleanness in the camp. And in both cases, Old Testament and New Testament, what do you see? Separation, okay? Take this leaven, and this is now outside the camp. Now, and when we get into 2 Corinthians, you know, it's to those who are who have been uh, outside the camp, it's to bring them back in. Now, there, uh, of that group, there are some who maybe they just said, okay, I'm done, I'm walking away. And, and I don't gloss over that and say that, you know, I don't gloss over that loosely. That's dreadful. But at the same time, of those who have been identified as leaven they've been outside the camp and in that what happens when they're outside the camp that's between them and the lord the remorse the sorrow now remember there is godly sorrow godly sorrow worldly sorrow says okay you know i'm gonna you know i'm gonna go off into the world i'm done with christ i'm done with that i'm just gonna get drunk eat drink and be merry but godly sorrow leads to repentance and so of those, those are now brought back into the camp. And they might still have issues where they're still wrestling with the things of the flesh. But because you have a remnant church, they're more mature to handle these things because of the backdrop of what they've learned in 1 Corinthians, that remnant that remained. You see how beautiful this is? That's what I love so much about the church in Corinth. As, as much as there's this egregious, egregious sin in the church, I love it so much because you see restoration and how appropriate it is for the church today because you see a lot of carnality entering the church. But you know what? Where, where are the pastors? Where are the elders? Just as you hear us say in, when, we were, when we were studying 1 Corinthians, where in the world were the pastors? Where in the elders? The same could be said today. Where are the pastors? Where in the world are they? Where are the elders? Because you have an abundance of the works of the flesh. But, you know, it's not like, you know, a work of the flesh in one regard, in, you know, another day, another day, uh, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're out. No, it doesn't work that way. It, there's, you know, grace and mercy is to be exercised. But what happens when it's, you know, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, and there's no change? If, if all of a sudden, you know, you so, somebody who's 
a, a, a drunkard, somebody who's sexually immoral, somebody who's a, 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 a drug addict, and they come to Christ, praise be to the Lord. I don't care whatever sin it was, you know, come to Jesus Christ. But then in five years, if they're still, you know, a sex head, a, a drug, you know, drugs, alcohol, if they're still after five years, two years, it's like, wait a second. Okay, this is leaven inside the church. It's now infecting the church. And that has to be dealt with. Don't take advantage of God's grace, His mercy, and His love. We are a people to be set apart for the Lord, consecrated unto Him. Old Testament and New Testament, that's what you see, consecration unto the Lord. And it requires a response from us. Some people say, oh, we're not saved by works. I get it. I understand. We're not saved by works. Remember, works is a debt. Remember our study through Romans? Works is a debt. But faith without works is dead. I'll put it another way. Belief without obedience is dead. Because when Brother James writes about faith and works, he pinpoints Abraham. And when you read the writing, when you read the account of with Abraham, all you see is obedience. That's it. Obedience. And it's so beautiful because when the Lord is the one directing your steps, our steps as a people of the way, when it's the Lord, what can we say? Can we say, oh, it's our intellect, it's our awesomeness, it's our wisdom? That... No, it's the Lord. You see, intimacy with the Lord. And so what's so beautiful about 2 Corinthians is that you see this, uh, you, you, you also have to make this distinction between Paul and his entourage. Now, if you've been listening for a while, you know what I mean when I say entourage. If you're listening for the first time, you're like, what? Paul had an entourage? No, because in the ways of the world, you have, the, you know, like celebrities, they have their entourage, people who want to mooch off of them. Uh, but it, it's not like that in the Bible. It, with Paul, when I say entourage, I mean his group of saints that are with him. And he's teaching them. He's pouring into them like Timothy, like Titus. And he brings them into, remember the, the concept of the holy bubble? <laughs> you know, you, you hear me say a holy bubble and you're like, what? But if you've been listening for a while, you know what I mean in saying that. So if you're listening the first time and you're like, what is he talking about? Listen to our study through Acts. Uh, Romans and First Corinthians, so you're, you're gonna have a lot of listening. <laughs> but so I say these things, this holy bubble where Paul brings these people in, young people, old people, women, men, and there's this entourage around him. But I, they're like yo-yos. Now, if you've been listening for a while, you know what I mean when I say the holy bubble, the entourage, the yo-yo. You know exactly what I mean. But if you're listening for the first time, listen to Acts, Romans, and 1 Corinthians. <laughs> so when I say yo-yos, he sends them out. So he has this, in this holy bubble, he brings people into his holy bubble. And he pours into them. What he's doing is he's training them. The next generation of pastors, of elders, of messengers, of deacons, and yes, deaconesses, just like Phoebe. This holy bubble, it's like training ground where it's, you know, you have Christians, which are beautiful, saints, beautiful people in the church, people in fellowships. But then you have a separate group of people where it's 
It's a little different. It's a little different. It's a little more hardcore. <laughs> a little more hardcore because these are teachers. Remember, like, you see Paul's letters and how beautiful they are. But then when he writes to the pastors, Timothy and Titus, yes, they're beautiful. But he says, Titus, you know, these people teach things which they ought not taught, which they ought not speak. They, they speak on things. They teach on things which they ought not say. And so their mouths must be stopped. It's a little hardcore. He doesn't say that to the church in Corinth. He doesn't say that to the church in Ephesus, but he says it to the pastors. You see? Because Titus and Timothy and Paul, they've rolled around on the mat. They've been learning how to fight spiritual warfare, hand-to-hand combat. And, you know, Timothy and Titus, they've also walked with Paul. They've seen Paul being beaten and bruised and left for dead. They've seen it. And so this holy bubble is like training ground for this next generation of righteousness. For the pastors, future pastors. And so this entourage of Paul, it's not entourage in a worldly sense, but this entourage is this holy bubble that travels. Establishing churches, feeding churches, tending the flock, caring for the flock, protecting the flock. It's a little different. This, this holy bubble that's traveling around, it's a little different from the pastors and elder, elders in Corinth. Remember the pastors and, pastors and elders in Corinth? Where in the world, where were they? You know, a, a spiritual sabbatical? Where were they? Why did things have to get to that level in Corinth? So yes, they might have had the title. Yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, I'm, a, I'm an elder. They might have had the title, but were they fulfilling their duties? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, because you see all the abundance of the works of the flesh. But praise be to the Lord, because we have example of this holy bubble in Paul and his entourage. But then at the same time, you see a holy bubble in uh, 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 Chloe. In Chloe's household, those in Chloe's household, her little home fellowship. I don't know if it was little. It, kind of, it might have been huge, but, you know, based on the flesh, based on carnal nature, I kind of think that it, it was probably a smaller faction among the majority. You see, those in Chloe's household. And so we make these distinctions between this holy bubble, which is Paul's entourage, and the church, the saints. Not that the church and the saints are nothing because they're the field. They're God's field, God's uh, building. Now, when I say make this distinction, remember, look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. When I speak about this differentiation, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. You are God's building. You see? And so you make this distinction. Okay, this is Paul. When he says, we are God's fellow workers, that's Paul and his entourage. And when he says, you are God's field, you are God's building, that's the church. That's the saints. And you make this distinction. And then so when Paul writes these letters, you're going to see when he says, we and you and we and you, we is him and the workers, this holy, the holy bubble, this entourage. That's, that's them. The next generation of righteousness. The next generation, not just the next generation of righteousness, the next generation of pastors and elders and deacons and bishops and 
men, women. Now, for the pastors and elders, that's men only. Men only. Godly men, not men who, you know, like nowadays you see pastors who shouldn't be pastors. You know, they're predators. But it fulfills what the Bible tells us about how shepherds can become wolves. And we live in a day and age where we see shepherds becoming wolves. Pastors who, who, who prey on females in their fellowships. Youth leaders who prey on, you know, the, the young kids. You see that? You don't need me to say that. We, we see it. It's happening. And it's going to get worse. But it also fulfills what the Bible warns us about. There's a heavy, heavy price to pay for being defunct. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder and you're listening and you are defunct, there's a heavy, heavy price to pay in this life and the life to come. You need to repent and get right with the Lord. And if you've committed a crime, you need to go to the police and admit what you've done. Egregious things happening in the church today. But we also know what the Bible tells us. Judgment comes first in the house of God. It's, I don't say this lightly, but it's easy to understand why that happens. Because look at the state of the church today. So we make these distinctions. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Make that distinction. And I even said that when we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And what do we see here of the, 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 the field and the workers? Of the field in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 8. You are already full. That's to the field. You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed I could wish you did reign that we might that we also might reign with you. That's the field. That's the workers. That's what he's saying of the workers. You guys, you got you're already full. You're already rich. But what does he say about the workers? This holy bubble, this entourage, this next generation, not just next generation of righteousness, next generation of believers, next generation of saints, but the next generation of pastors. Next generation of elders, of bishops. Of deacons, male and female, young and old. And when I say male and female, you have like, <clears throat> excuse me, you have like uh, female uh, 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 deacons, like, like uh, uh, Phoebe, what we looked at in Romans, when we studied Romans. But what does Paul say of himself and this holy entourage, this holy bubble? He says, still in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 13, being defamed, we entreat we have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things. You see? The filth of the world, the offscouring, which translates as the scum of all things, the scum of the world. That's what Paul says of himself and this holy bubble. We're the scum of the earth. You see? We're the scum of the earth in the ways of the world. Because the world and God, there, there's enmity. They're at enmity. The world cannot receive the things of the Lord. Which is why we have, you know, you see the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Who goes into the world to convict the world of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness. You see? Everything aligns. Everything aligns. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. 
You're not going to see Paul and Peter say, okay, guys, let's go grave soaking. Okay, guys, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Let's start writing a letter to the church that when, you know, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. No. Because that's contrary to the word of God. And God doesn't cast out God. You see? The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. It's the same spirit that leads into Christ. And for those who are in Christ, it's the same spirit that says, hey, stay in Christ. It's very important to understand these things, especially in these last days, because these days are so evil. These days are so wicked. Prophecy is happening all over the place. It's not just like, you know, you know, in uh, 1990, this is happening. In 1995, there's this. You have at this particular moment in time, a conglomeration. Everything is converging. It's happening all at once. All at once. It's all happening. And I could list all kinds of different things. But, you know, what's happening, you have the Pentecostal church. They're now joining forces with the, with the Pope. Certain factions of the Pentecostal charismatic movement, they're joining forces with Rome, the seven hills. Beware of the seven hills. You see? But always understand that in order for anybody to enter apostasy, in order for that to happen, precursory to that is false teaching. You see? Precursory to... False teaching is an inaccurate understanding of Scripture. So once you once an inaccurate understanding of Scripture is once that happens, it's an improper and inaccurate understanding of Scripture. It leaves room for the next step, which is false doctrine being taught, false doctrine being consumed. And false doctrine leads into a false walking. So there's a process for entering into apostasy. Which is why there is huge danger and judgment against uh, for those who don't have a love of the truth. And if you're Pentecostal, you're listening. If you're charismatic and you're listening, I love you. I love you. I don't say these things to hurt you, but listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you're Pentecostal, you're charismatic, and every time you go into church, everybody is speaking in tongues, that's wrong. I love you, but that's wrong. There needs to be order in the house of God. And where you see disorder in the church, that's a huge red flag. Where are the pastors? Where are the elders? To say, okay, we're going to do it as the Bible says. Two people speak in tongues and there has to be an interpreter. Three max. There has to be an interpreter. No interpreter, no tongues. You see? There has to be order. And if you're Pentecostal charismatic, I love you so much. I don't want to hurt your feelings and I don't want to rock and jolt your faith. But there's a danger because where you see this, you know, if you walk into your fellowship, you walk into your church, 
and it's a church of a hundred people, and a hundred people are speaking in tongues, even like little five-year-olds, ten-year-olds. Not to say that the Lord, you know, that can't happen to children, that the Holy Spirit can't gift to little children. He can, and He does. But if you walk into your fellowship, and if it's a, a fellowship of, say, 200 people, and 200 people, or 150, are speaking in tongues, that's wrong. That's wrong. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 about the Holy Spirit and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. And so where you see that error, when, when that's not being, when the biblical model isn't being fo followed, it leaves room for the next step, which is false teaching. And then where there's false teaching, you have false walking. And where there's false walking, the seduction just gets even worse and worse and worse. It gets heavier, which is why now you have major factions of the Pentecostal charismatic movement now joining forces with the Pope. Now joining forces with Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, which is not biblical Christianity. If you're Catholic, I love you too. <laughs> but Catholicism, and I say this as a former Catholic, who was also involved with the Pentecostal Church at one point in my life, maybe about 20 years ago. You see? I don't say this to hurt anybody. If you're listening, you're Pentecostal, you're charismatic, you're Catholic, I love you. But come out of her, my people. And follow the word of God. Every jot, every tittle, as, as he indicates. Because these days are treacherous. Very, very treacherous. And so we make this distinction between the worker and the field. The field, Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, you are already full, you are already rich. But then of this holy bubble, this entourage, he says we're the scum of the world. Verse 14 of chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, we're the scum of the world. And so now we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse 1. And he says, therefore, now this therefore is loaded because you have to listen to the previous, the last week, our, our study last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Two and one, two. Therefore, that's a loaded therefore. Make sure you're caught up and you're, you've, you, you're, you're up to date on where we're at in our studies. Therefore, since we have this ministry, remember, he's speaking about this holy bubble, this entourage, the yo-yos. And I don't say that disrespectfully of what the Lord has done through these men and women, young and old. I say that to, to help us to have this understanding of who this, the makeup of this holy bubble. Yes, saints. Yes, believers. But it's a little bit more hardcore than the defunct pastors and the defunct elders that we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a little bit more hardcore. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, I love this because understand that everybody in this holy bubble, in this entourage of Paul, they are recipients of mercy and now they are the givers of mercy. They are the recipients of grace and now they are the givers of grace. They are the recipients of God's love. Now they are the givers of God's love. 
messengers. As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. You know, it's the exact opposite. They don't lose heart. They're even more encouraged. In verse 2, remember, this is this holy bubble, the, the mindset, the character of this holy bubble and the makeup of this holy bubble, not the nominal, and I don't, it, it, you know, I don't say nominal like you know that like that to cheapen, but there's a little bit more hardcore nuance to this entourage, this holy bubble. It's not like the defunct that you see among the pastors and elders in First Corinthians chapter five. And I don't say that in a boastful or a prideful way, you know. For all you listeners, I love you so much. I can't wait to meet you. You know, in this life or the life to come, I desire to meet you. But in some regards, I'm thankful that I don't know you because I can speak, you know, I can boast in the Lord, which when I make these boasts in the Lord, it might seem like, wow, this guy's boasting. But how can I boast when I don't even know you? You see? So I, I can boast and make these boasts in Christ, but... If I don't know you, praise be to the Lord because it makes my boast absolutely nothing because I don't know you. I desire, I long, I want to, and I long to meet you. I desire to meet you. And Lord willing, in this life, maybe I will. But in the life to come, definitely we will meet. Definitely in the life to come. And this is what Paul says in verse 2. Remember, make these distinctions between worker and field. Make these distinctions. It will help you. I don't say this, oh, so, you know, let's, let's apply the word of God academically. No, it doesn't work. The, the, the ways of logic and intellect are almost, it's like oil in the water when it comes to the thing of faith. But we have renounced, in verse 2, we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Now, I don't want to lord over anybody's walk with the Lord. I don't want to lord over anybody's faith. But if you have a highlighter, or a pen, or some kind of marker, underline that, or highlight that. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. And if you're a pastor, or if you're an elder, definitely highlight this. We have renounced the hidden things of shame. We have put away, or disavowed, the hidden or concealed things of shame, of disgrace. You know why I say highlight this? Because nobody does it anymore. Nobody renounces. Nobody disavows the hidden things of shame. It's just the opposite. They hold on to the hidden things of shame. And they don't even... Everybody's, we live in a snowflake generation. Oh, I don't want to get my little feelers hurt. So I don't want to feel that shame. And so I'm not going to speak about this. I'm not going to feel bad about this. That's wickedness. That's the doorway to wickedness. If not flat out wickedness and being walking through that doorway of wickedness. You have pastors and elders nowadays who have their secret lives. They'll stand at the pulpit and teach on a Sunday, and then on Monday they're in the strip club. In another town, and you know, two towns over, three towns over, because they don't want people to know where they go. 
pastors and elders today who say, oh yeah, we're going to go on, you know, a mission trip to, to Mexico and, you know, we're going to go to Mexico to the third world and we're going to help them. We're going to bring them the good news. And, you know, everybody, you're going to join us next week, but we're going to go in advance and, you know, set up, you know, get our, our accommodations, work out our, you know, where we're going to stay, how we're going to eat. We're going to go work out this thing. So you have the pastor, a couple pastors, a couple elders, they go a week before everybody else. And what do they do during that week? All kinds of abominations. The sex, the drugs, the alcohol. They do it during the first three days. So the next three days they can, you know, come off their highs. That happens. I could name names too. But I won't. It's happening. The pastors and elders, everybody's, you know, praying for the pastor and elder. Everybody in the church, they're praying for the pastor and elder, uh, elders. And they're saying, okay, yes, you know, they're, you know, Lord, give them, you know, guide them, do all these things. And what are they doing? All kinds of abominations. A lot of sex, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol. It's happening. Where's the renunciation? Where's the disavowment of the hidden, the concealed things of shame? That is disgraceful. Who is the one that renounces such things? Why does this not happen anymore? We have a snowflake generation. Multiple generations. Old people are snowflakes now. Instead of the old people influencing the young, it's the young who are influencing the old. You ever see like old people? You know, like a a, a 50-year-old lady and she dresses like she's 20? I mean, if you're 50 and you know, <laughs> I say old people. I'll say 70. You know, a 70-year-old lady dressing like he, uh, she's uh, 20. Now, if you're 70, okay, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I put myself in that situation. So if you're, you see, I'll just say old lady. Or you see an old guy and he dresses like he's 20. You see, it's a mess. You have this young generation that's influencing the old. Now you see this snowflake generation among Generation Z and the millennials. And now all of a sudden... Generation X and, you know, the boomers, they're becoming snowflakes. But it is prophesied to happen. It is prophesied to happen. Everybody will be offended and will betray one another. It is prophesied to happen. One of many converging prophecies for such a time as this. But I speak to the remnant. Not so with the remnant. The remnant is different. The remnant is separate from the things that we see in the nominal. Definitely in the world, but among the nominal. I speak to the remnant. The Lord didn't call me to speak to the dead. I speak to the living. We have renounced the hidden things of shame. No secret lifestyles, my friends. My beautiful brothers, my beautiful sisters, no secret lifestyles. If that's you, cut it out. Repent, get your heart right with the Lord. No secret lives. No speaking Christianese and then, you know, also, you know, speaking to the prostitutes. I mean, if you speak to the prostitutes, you better be sharing the good news and bringing them to Christ. You see? None of this crazy business. That's the ways of the world. 
That is the ways of the nominal. You have to make these distinctions. And if you're in the field, what kind of field do you want to be? If you're in God's building, what kind of building do you want to be? In honoring of the Lord. Sometimes, you know, I speak to young people and you speak about honor. And they're like, what is that? Can you help me understand what this honor is? You have a generation because you have the young people are influencing the old instead of the old influencing the young. The old people who grew up, you know, in a time period where honor was something to be esteemed. But that's being gone. That's, that's being erased. People have forgotten. We have renounced the hidden things of shame, of disgrace. What is disgrace? Now, if you're a non-believer and you're listening, maybe you don't know what's disgraceful. Maybe you don't know. And if that's the case, believe in Jesus Christ and He will teach you. You receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you hit pause right now and scroll and listen to the message how to commit your life to Jesus Christ or commit your life to Jesus Christ. You listen and you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then you come back and you listen. You might not know anything about the Lord. Except you believe in Him. Rejoice. Because that's like Corinth. Remember Paul says, I purpose not to, not to teach anything except Christ and Him crucified. You might not know anything about the Lord. Anything about the Bible. Rejoice. Because it's the same with Corinth. This same group of people that we're, we're, we're studying in this remnant. And those who have been brought back, same. Praise be to the Lord. Rejoice. Don't feel bad because, oh, I don't know the Bible. I don't know the Bible. Rejoice. And then learn. You see? So highlight. Highlight verse 2. But this part. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Nobody does that anymore. The nominal, they don't do that anymore. The world doesn't do that. The nominal, they don't do that. But the remnant, they do such things. But we have renounced, we have put away, we have disavowed the hidden things of shame. You see, no secret lives. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you have your secret lives, you repent, you get your heart right with the Lord, and don't go back to the pulpit, step down. It's an abdication of your God-given responsibilities. If the Lord gave it to you. I mean, if you're a pastor because you just want to do some good for the community, that's not good. The Lord has to call you into that ministry. Maybe that in itself is revealing that He didn't call you. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, and you have your secret life, you have not renounced the hidden things of shame, and you know you, you teach on a Sunday, and you're at the strip club, strip club on Monday, you teach on a Sunday, and you have a needle in your arm on Tuesday, that's not good. Or you're sleeping in vomit because you're, you, 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 you're drunk on a Monday, and yet you're at the pulpit on Monday. Repent. Get your heart right with the Lord. And then step down from the pulpit. And you purpose in your hearts to renounce the hidden things of shame. That's what Paul says about this entourage. This holy bubble. As he's training the next generation 
of righteousness, but of pastors, elders, deacons, bishops, messengers. We make this distinction between the worker and the field. The, the, the field, that's the, the, the church in Corinth, the saints in Corinth, that's the field. But the workers, they're a little different. They're not like the average bear. Remember our study through Acts? How many times did you hear us say, he's not like the average bear? How many times? I said it exhaustively. For a reason. You won't be like the average bear. Renounce the hidden things of shame. This is what Paul says about this holy bubble. Not walking in craftiness, he says, which is trickery and sophistry. Where you see people where they speak one thing, but they mean something different. You see it in all kinds of seduction. Seduction into you know, things, the, the worldly seduction, you see it in the, there, you see it in political seduction, where politicians say, you know, I give you, I, wanna, I promise you this, they want the votes, so they get into office and they do the exact opposite. You see it in the, in churches too, where people speak one thing, but they mean something different. Or they speak one thing and their whole purpose is to deceive. I've told you before, I've had such a conversation with somebody, about a three and a half hour, four hour conversation. The beginning of the conversation, I was like, okay, this guy's my brother. The very beginning, at five minutes in, okay, this guy's my brother, we're going to have a theological conversation. And he kept using all these big words. Like if, if I was stupid, I would have thought, wow, this guy knows what he's talking about because he's using all these big words. But... Praise be to the Lord because I was stupid, but in the Lord's hand. Remember, the Lord chooses the foolish things of the world. And so I'd ask, he'd say something, and I'd ask, what does this mean? And he'd say, okay. He'd kind of have a smile on his face like, oh, you don't know what this means? No, I don't know what it means. Explain it to me. What does it mean? So he'd say, okay, this means this, and this means this. In this dispensation, there's this, and in all these, you know, the... The, the buzzwords of Christianity, everyone wants the, the intellect. The intellect, wow, you know, this guy it sounds like he's smart. And he kept on going. I'm like, wait a second. I, 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 I don't mean to stop you where you're at, but I, I, I understand what you're saying. I didn't understand before, but now I understand what you're saying because I didn't know what that word meant and I didn't know what this word meant. I didn't know what this word meant. But now that you've defined it and you've said that the Bible says this here, the Bible says this here, I'm putting it all together, and that, that's not biblical. That's not in the Bible. And then he'd go deeper. Well, you know, in this dispensation, you know, yada, yada, yada. And whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. I get what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. But that's not biblical. Because the Bible also says, and plus your reference point here, it's not really here. It's actually over here. And when you look at the text context and co-text, you're out to lunch, my friend. You're out to lunch, brother. Maybe an hour in. Two hours in, it was like, wait a second. This is, in my mind, I'm thinking like, this is crazy. This is, 
this isn't right. And then all of a sudden, you know, about three and a half hours in, four hours in, I just flat out told him, look, that's idolatry. What you're speaking is idolatry because you're speaking about another Christ, not the Jesus of the Bible. You're speaking about another Jesus and you're proclaiming another Jesus and that is unbiblical. And he had a smirk on his face and he says, I'm the guy the Bible warns you about. You see? Craftiness. Sophistry. Wow, this guy sounded like he was smart. And five minutes in, I thought, wow, this guy's my friend. He's my brother. Four hours in, this guy is an enemy of the cross. This guy is an enemy of my Lord. He's an enemy of Jesus Christ. And I'm not just, I mean, I, I, I say that because he was, but I also say that because he even identified himself as such. I'm the guy the Bible warns you about. Those are his words. You see? Knowledge of the Word of God, it's beautiful, it's protective, it's a gift of the Spirit. But if you don't have the knowledge of the Word of God and all you know is Christ and Him crucified, rejoice and learn. And you will understand, you will have this understanding. And this understanding, this knowledge of the Word of God is to protect you. And you might say, oh, I'm just in the field or I'm just in the building. Praise be to the Lord. Keep that building, keep that field nice and clean. You see, nothing mangy. You hear us say all the time in our study through the Old Testament, nothing mangy. You renounce the hidden things of shame, no secret lifestyles. And maybe, it's not my call, it's the Lord's call. Maybe the Lord will say, okay, now you're in the field, but I'm going to bring you as a worker. He calls you into ministry. You see? And then you join a holy bubble, which, where in the world are you going to find a holy bubble? You see? You train and you're equipped for the work of the ministry. A lot of people today, they have the title, oh, this guy's a pastor, this guy's an elder, this guy's a youth leader, this guy's... But they have no business with such title. A lot of people. You say, wow, that sounds elitist. I'm not trying... Look, at, I, I rejoice that... I, I'm, I'm sad that I don't know you. I desire to know you. But I also rejoice that I don't know you because I can speak this way. Freely, I can speak this way. Also, with a clear conscience. Remember when Paul's like, I'm thankful I didn't baptize any of you. That's what Paul says to the church in Corinth. I'm thankful I didn't baptize any of you. And I love it so much because, you know, it's revealing his, uh, his age there because, oh, except this guy. And then there was this guy. Oh, and then there was this guy. And I think there was this guy. <laughs> I mean, if you're old, you know, as I, as I get older, I appreciate that even more because it's like, wow, you know, I'm thankful I don't know any of you. But then I can say, well, except this guy, except this lady. You see? They're not speaking this holy bubble. They're not walking in craftiness. There's no trickery or sophistry. They're not saying one thing and meaning another thing. 
or not handling as is written in verse 2. Not handling the word of God deceitfully. You know how that translates? It's pretty violent how it translates. Not adulterating the word of God. I mean, that's like, whoa. I, I, I hate to even, in my mind, even fathom somebody adulterating the word of God. But I don't mind. We don't have to discuss it or talk about it or dwell on it or think about it because we can see it. It's happening. The adulterating of the word of God. Well, somebody will use all these big words. Oh, yes, they'll use these big words. You know, and everybody's thinking, wow, this guy is such a learned guy. This guy is such a learned guy. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to listen to him. And after church, we're going to have a fellowship and, you know, and we're going to have this gathering and he wants to take us grave soaking. So, yes, we're going to go grave soaking. Surely this guy knows what he's talking about. That guy's a fool. That guy is a fool. I'll say it again. That guy is a fool. He is dangerous. Why follow such? Grave soaking? To soak in the Holy Spirit from the dead people? The Holy Spirit isn't found in graves. The Holy Spirit is alive for the living. That guy is poison. And so why do you see multitudes of people being sucked into those things. Behold the last days. You see? If not apostate, entering apostasy. Remember the procedure? You have this false understanding of Scripture, which leads to false doctrine, which leads to the false teaching, which leads to the false walking, which leads to further seduction into... Fill in the blank. And in the last days, there will be a mother of harlots, mother of whores. If she's the mother of whores, she's a whore herself. You see? And all kinds of people are being sucked into that. Except the remnant. The remnant is awake. The remnant sees what's happening. The remnant knows. The remnant is aware. It's also why the remnant will be killed in the last days. You see? But beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints. I don't want to gloss over death. But in one regard, I do want to gloss over death because, oh, death, where is your sting? So Paul says in verse 2, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth. This manifestation of the truth translates as uh, 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 making apparent the truth and as a gifting. Paul is giving the truth. Teaching Timothy. Paul's an old guy. Teaching Timothy, hey, you know, I'm going to be dead, so you need to carry this. Carry truth. 
Titus, carry truth. Phoebe, carry truth. Priscilla, Aquila, carry truth. Abide in truth. Abide in Christ and He in you, in His truth of His words. And gift these things to the saints. Conduits. Conduits. It's only new wineskin that can hold new wine. Only. New wine only flows through new wineskin. So the earlier example in verse 2, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame. And today you have these pastors and elders with their secret lifestyles. They're at the pulpit on Sunday, but then on Monday they're at the strip club. On Tuesday they got a needle in their arm. And then on Wednesday they say, oh, I'm not feeling well. Uh, co-pastor, can you teach? Meanwhile, they're, they're uh, waddling in a pool of vomit because they vomit. They've been drinking all night. Not only is that a secret lifestyle, but that's old wineskin. It is not new wineskin. So what in the world flows from such people? What in the world is flowing from such people? It's definitely not new wine because new wine isn't for old wineskins. New wine only flows through new wineskins. So the guy who teaches on Sunday, who's old wineskin, what's flowing out of this guy? You see? Treacherous times. Treacherous, treacherous times, perilous times. As is written, every jot, every tittle will be fulfilled. But this holy bubble, this entourage of Paul, by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God or joining ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Not just joining to every man's conscience, in the fear of the Lord, he says, in the sight of God. Right before the Lord is how it, right in front of the Lord is how it translates. Joining ourselves to every man's conscience. Now, I'll say this as a, there's a little warning label to this, the end of this verse. And the warning label is this. Be careful who you permit into your conscience. Because if who you permit into your conscience is old wineskin, what in the world is you know, new wine only comes through new wineskin. There are a small number of people who are committed into my conscience. Godly men and godly women. Lovers of truth, lovers of the Lord and fears of God. And they're committed in my heart, in my conscience. They help me in my walk with the Lord. Paul says of himself and this entourage, this holy bubble, these holy yo-yos. He says, we're joining in your conscience. And not just joining in your conscience. He says, in the sight of God. An open book before the Lord. An open life before the Lord. Lord, this is for you. This is for your glory. This is to honor you. Is to help them. You see, 
Be very careful who you permit in your conscience, who you allow in your conscience. Because if it's old wineskin, if there's no truth, the doctrine must be sound. Truth. The good, bad, the ugly. Truth. Yes, there are ugly parts of truth. I mean, we read the Bible and you see, like, look at Korah. Ugly. Look at the bad. Look at Saul, Old Testament Saul. Bad, ugly. Look at the good. Look at David. Good. Look at David's fall. Ugly, bad. The good, the bad, the ugly. The hard, the difficult. Look at the sexual sin we studied in for the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Ugly, sad, devastating. The candy coaters, don't permit them in your conscience. Be very careful who you permit in your conscience because these days are evil. Oh, but this guy's love. He's loving on these people. Yes, he's loving. That's nice. Does he want to go grape soaking? Yeah. There you go. Don't permit him in your conscience. You see? That's an abomination before the Lord. Oh, but this guy is so loving. This guy is so loving. Don't forget. our Yes, God is love. Yes, all these attributes of the Lord, the character of our Lord. But He's coming to judge. Oh, but Jesus Christ was a man of peace. I understand. But He is the one who says, Do you suppose I came to give peace? I came to bring peace? He says, No, I came to divide. Those are His words. And when he comes again, he's coming as a lion. He's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion. He's coming to judge with the sword out of his mouth. And he will slay. He will kill. You see? Judgment. And judgment is coming. People always say, you know, let's just love on these people and let God take care of the rest. Well, that's dangerous. (laughs) Because when God takes care of things, it's not pretty. I mean, look at Korah. When God takes care of things, it's not pretty. I mean, the aftermath is pretty because of what it produces. But when he, like the act of actually doing it, it's not pretty. What's much better is when the Lord uses his vessels to take care of things, such as Paul. Because if in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if this division, if this separation didn't happen, making a way by which a person can be saved through the destruction of the flesh, then they would burn in hell. That's what would happen. Committing such a person to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, because it might be that he might be saved in the day of the Lord. Because, oh, that's too mean-spirited. That's not mean-spirited. That's love. Because he's looking out not for the flesh, He's looking out for the soul. And yes, his words are hardcore. His words are harsh and bold. But it's for the benefit of souls. Not the benefit of the flesh. Such people say, oh, let's just love on these people. Let God take care of the rest. That's fleshly minded. Because when you look at the soul, forget the flesh. When you look at the soul, And those works of the flesh which impact the soul. That is leaven. And it is not right before the Lord. 
you see. It's much better to have the Lord take care of things through his vessels. Because when the Lord does it by himself, it's judgment. Old Testament and New Testament. When the Lord takes care of things, it's judgment. When he uses his people to take care of things, it's mercy and grace and love. Oh, but that hurts my little feelers. Praise be to the Lord. Because godly sorrow produces repentance. It leads to repentance. That's what godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow says, oh, my feelers are hurt. I'm out of here. I'm going to go get drunk and get high and do all these things and forget the things of the Lord. That's worldly sorrow, which is satanic. Godly sorrow says, oh, my little feelers are hurt. Maybe this guy is right. Maybe this lady is right. Let me see what the Bible says. Oh, my goodness, I have committed this sin. I'm not clean before the Lord. You fall on your face. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I repent. Make that distinction between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Because worldly sorrow leads to hell. Godly sorrow leads to the Lord through repentance. You see? And so we see this in verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. You see, wow, Paul is such an elitist. He says, number one, he says it's his gospel. Oh, he's such an elitist. Well, no, he's a vessel. He's new wineskin. The gospel that he's giving. It's, remember, the, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. This gospel, even if our gospel, this gospel that is proclaimed of this holy bubble, that is truth. They're not going to deviate from the word of God because they're led by the spirit of God. The spirit of the Lord isn't going to lead into destruction. The spirit of the Lord leads to life. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Oh, Paul is such an elitist. I can't believe he says this says the fool. Is Paul the, the only proclaimer of truth? If I ignore Paul, does that mean I'm going to perish? No, Paul's a vessel of the Lord. Timothy, Titus, Phoebe, Priscilla, Aquila, this holy bubble, this holy entourage. No deviation from the word of God. No deviation from the Spirit of the Lord. So what is it that they're giving? Truth, grace, mercy, and love. And when I say truth, yes, the good, bad, the ugly. It is veiled to those who are perishing. You see? Remember, Paul says of himself, he's like, oh, Paul is such an elitist. No, he says of himself, I'm the scum of the earth. I'm the scum of the earth. Remember what we looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 4? If he's such an elitist, would he be in jail? If he's such an elitist, would he be beaten? If he's such an elitist, would he be left for dead? If he's such an elitist, would he have his head cut off? That doesn't sound like an elitist to me. You see? And of the perishing, he says this in verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Pause there for a moment whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. 
Now, I say pause there for a moment because of this. If you're Calvinist, if you're into Reformed theology, and I say Reformed theology, but what I really mean is Reformed theory. The guy who I told you about, the four-hour conversation, he was Reformed theology. He was Reformed theory. And by his own admission, in this long conversation, he says, I'm the guy the Bible warns you about. This guy was Reformed theory. He had all the books. He'd always have the sovereignty of the Lord. He would always talk about the sovereignty of the Lord. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Yes, I don't deny the sovereignty of the Lord. Yes, the Lord is sovereign. And if the Lord is sovereign, behave like it. If the Lord is sovereign, act like it. You see? People will say, oh, the Lord is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Okay, God is sovereign. So what's up with this crack over here? Oh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Okay, okay. What's up with the sex over here? God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Okay. Why are you telling these little white lies? You call them little white lies. What's up? God is sovereign. How come you're not acting like it? How come you don't behave like it? You got your little white sex over here, your little white lies over here, your little white pornography over here, your little white uh, occult, your little white Ouija boards. No, that's no big deal. God is sovereign. Act like it. Behave like it. In verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. You know why I say, that, uh, bring up the Calvinist and Reform theory? Because they say God does this. They say God does this. That God predestines people to hell and He predestines people to heaven. It is unbiblical. Now, if you're Calvinist or Reformed theory, I love you. I love you. Look, So far, look at We've talked at uh, uh, Charismatic, Pentecostals, Catholic, Calvinist, and Reformed theory. And then on Wednesday, the Jewish people and then the Muslims, Arabs. So, I love you. I don't say these things to hurt your feelings. I love you. I love your soul. The soul that I desire for you to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. If you're Calvinist, if you're uh, 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 Reformed, if you're... Uh, Catholic, if you are charismatic, if you are uh, uh, Pentecostal, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Because the Calvinists and Reformed people, they say, God does this. In verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. And they say God does that. God makes people believe and God makes people not believe. What does the Bible say? The God of this age has blinded who do not believe. Now, I've had these conversations before with the Calvinists and the Reformed theory. They say, okay, verse 4 is talking about the Lord, the God of this age. Verse 4 is talking about the Lord. Okay, you say that? Okay, turn with me to John chapter 12. John 12. Verse 31. 
Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will, ca- will be cast out. Okay? The ruler of this world. You say, Second, if you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed theory, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, you say the God of this age is the Lord. In John chapter 12, verse 31, says the ruler of this world will be cast out. So let me ask you a question. The first part of verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Who sits on the judgment seat? Who sits on the judgment seat, my friend? If you're Calvinistic, if you're Reformed theory, who sits on the judgment seat? It's God. The sovereign Lord. Question number two. The end of verse 31 says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Question number two, does God cast out God? Point blank. The answer is no. Turn with me really quick to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. Verse 2. Psalm of David. Psalm 138, verse 2, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. You have magnified your word above all your name. Above the name of the sovereign God is his word. What does the word say? If you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed theory, I love you. Come out of her, my people. And if you're Calvinist and Reformed, listen to our study through Romans chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. That's it. You can do more, but Romans 7 through 11. Listen to our study through Romans 7 through 11. I love you. As surely as the Lord lives, I love you. But even still, if you're Calvinist and Reformed, come out of her, my people. If you're Charismatic and Pentecostal, come out of her, my people. If you're Catholic, come out of her, my people. In the Calvinist and Reformed theory camp, that four-hour conversation I told you about, that was with a Reformed theory person who desired to be a pastor, who I've heard give sermons before and was considering becoming a pastor, talked with pastors about becoming a pastor, counseled with pastors about becoming a pastor. And of these pastors, which I could name names, nobody had these conversations about their theology, this this theology of such a person. Does it align with Scripture? I don't say this as an elitist. I don't say this like, oh, you know, look, this is, you know, I'm the arbiter of truth. I don't say it that way. And I've been called an elitist. But these days are treacherous. Very, very treacherous. Every single day, I am more terrified for the church than I was the previous day. 
Because nobody's a Berean. Nobody's a Berean. Except the remnant. Wherever you are on the face of this earth, wherever you are on this orb, be refined in these last days. You are the remnant. According to grace, Romans 11. And if you're a Calvinist and you're Reformed and you listen to our, you know, uh, 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 Romans 7 through 11, you'll see it. You'll learn about predestination, biblical predestination. Listen to these messages. They're for you to teach so you can understand and be equipped. And fight the good fight. Not be equipped to, you know, uh, pick lilies out of the field. Equipped to fight. Equipped to engage. You see, offense is... Remember when we were studying through the book of Acts? How many times did you hear say, you know, defensive good. A defensive posture is good. But what about the offense posture? You see? And so, let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 3, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. It's not God who does that. If you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed, it's not God who does that. It's Satan. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll say this again. Turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. In verse 13, But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while. You see, not one saved, always saved. They're a short-term believer. They just believe for a little while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. Look at verse 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Not God. The devil. I'll read it again. Luke chapter 8 verse 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. The Calvinists and the Reformed theory they say, God does that. The Bible says Satan does that. The devil does that. He takes away the word out of their heart. Which... The words of our Lord here, red letters in Luke chapter 8, verse 12, aligns perfectly with our study in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. You see, the Spirit of the Lord isn't going to contradict the Word of God. It's another spirit that says, oh look, God does this. No. Satan is the one who's, who, 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 the, who blinds minds who do not believe, who takes away the seed out of hearts. It's Satan. Calvinists will say God does it. Reformed theory people will say God does it. 
By what spirit do they teach such things? Knowing that the spirit of our Lord doesn't deviate from the word of God. By what spirit? Now, if you're Calvinist Reformed, I love you. But by what spirit? By what spirit does a Reformed theology person, so-called theology, but by what spirit does a Reformed theory person say, it's okay to take the mark of the beast? Once saved, always saved. And therefore, once saved, always saved. Not understanding Luke chapter 8, verse 13, about the short-term believer who believes, but only for a while. By what spirit does a Reformed theory person with their study Bibles say, it's okay to take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved? By what spirit? You see? Strange fire, perhaps? Strange fire? And what happens with strange fire? These are very... If you're hardcore into Calvinism and Reformed theology, I don't say these things to hurt you. I say these things to sharpen you. And I also say, come out of her, my people. There's a cloud in a different camp, a people of the way. And when I say a people of the way, I don't speak about the way. I speak of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Abide in Him, and He in you. The Reformed theory people are the ones who are, the pastors, so-called pastors, they're the ones who are starting to say, and it's growing, they're starting to say, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You will not lose your salvation. Which is a derivative of multiple false teachings prior. Remember, uh, false teaching? What, what, how does false teaching come to, come to be? A misunderstanding or a misapplication of truth. That's how it all starts. And then it starts to be taught. It starts to be spread it's propagated a guy is held in high esteem has his study bibles and he says it's okay to take the mark of the beast and his followers start to teach it's okay to take the mark of the beast they have their uh, uh, seminaries they say it's okay to take the mark of the beast and it starts to spread like wildfire for such a time as this you see On top of that, look at the converging of all these prophecies that are being fulfilled today. And what's spreading in the church that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You see, it's an attack. We're under attack. We're under attack. Where are the fighters? I say, assemble the fighters, assemble the warriors, and let us fight. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You see, unbelief has consequences. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. If you're an unbeliever and you're listening, believe in Jesus Christ. God loves you. God loves you. You have the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. I don't care. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I'll clean my life up and then I'll get right with Christ. No, you have it. It's the other way around. 
You get right with God, you repent, and you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you know what? As the saying goes, Jesus cleans his own fish. And I tell you from experience. Jesus cleans his own fish. And if that's you, you hit pause right now and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you do just that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you get in the ark. Because judgment is coming. You see? Now, I'll also say when I say judgment is coming, there are indicators, prophetically speaking, indicators of the events of the last days. And even among the pre-tribulation rapture theory people, man, I'm, I'm, we're going off everybody today. Of the pre-tribulation rapture people, they say, okay, you know what? Believe Jesus Christ now because the rapture is imminent. The rapture is imminent. The rapture is imminent, but not yet. Not yet. Because also the church in Thessalonica, they were they thought that the rapture could happen at any time. Not understanding what Paul says. Now, since I brought it up, let's go to second uh, first Thessalonians. <clears throat> first Thessalonians chapter four. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise, rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Praise be to the Lord. This is a beautiful passage about the rapture of the church. The rapture is indeed a biblical event, the resurrection. I'm not a Sadducee. I'm not a Pharisee either, but at least the Pharisees believed in uh, resurrection. And the church in Thessalonica, they thought, okay, that the Lord's going to return at any time. But they forgot verse 15. We who are alive and remain in verse 15 until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. The living will not precede the dead. The living will not precede the dead. We who are alive and remain translates as we who are alive and survive. That's how it translates in the Greek. We who are alive and survive. And so the, the church in Thessalonica, they thought, wow, the Lord's going to come at any time. The Lord's coming at any time. Let's head for the hills and wait for the Lord. And that's exactly what they did. And the Holy Spirit says, Paul, Paul, write another letter to the church in Thessalonica. Paul says, yes, Lord. And in obedience to the Lord, by the leading of the Holy Spirit and by inspiration of the Spirit, writes 2 Thessalonians, another letter to the church in Thessalonica who thought about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, turn there really quick. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says this to the church who was awaiting the imminent return of Jesus Christ. He says, now, brethren, in verse 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So his coming and our gathering to him, our gathering together to him. 
the rapture of the church, the resurrection. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. You see, the, the church in Thessalonica, oh, the Lord is coming at any time, this is imminent return. And Paul is saying, hey, calm down. Don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled. Calm down. Concerning his coming and our gathering together to him, the rapture and the living will by no means precede the dead from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2 verse 3. When the Lord says, hey, Paul, Paul, write another letter to the church in Thessalonica. They, they think the Lord is coming right now. They think the Lord is coming at any time. They think the Lord is imminently going to return. And so Paul says, yes, Lord. And in verse 3 of chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians, let no one deceive you by any means. Let no one deceive you by any means. Remember, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, he says that day in verse 3, that day will not come unless, unless. And then he gives precursory events. Unless the falling away comes first, which is apostasy, and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. That's the Antichrist. You see? Yes, there is the imminent return of Jesus Christ, but not yet. Not yet. Not before the 70th week of Daniel. Because the revealing of the Antichrist happens in the middle of the 70th week. That alone right there. That alone right there. Destroys the pre-tribulation rapture theory. It's a theory. So when you hear me say, get in the ark, get in the ark. If you're not a believer, get in the ark. Yes, there's salvation in the Lord. There's salvation in the ark and all who abide in Christ. Or when I say ark, I speak of Jesus Christ. Yes, judgment is coming. But if you hear the pre-tribulation rapture, people say, oh yes, the rapture of the church is imminent. It's imminent. It's imminent. Yes, it's imminent, but not yet. And if you're pre-tribulation rapture, I love you. I don't want to hurt your feelings and I don't want to rock your faith. I don't want to jolt you to the core. To where you will fall away. But I want to jolt you to the core so that you will stand firm. Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come. What day is this? Well, look at verse 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him the rapture of the church. And the living will by no means precede the dead. Let no one deceive you by any means. You know what's happening in the church today? They're letting people deceive them. I've been called satanic. I've been called an evil worker. I've been called demonic. I've been called an elitist. But you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I've had my little feelers hurt a billion, a trillion times. I don't even, so much so, I don't even have little feelers anymore. They're all gone. They're all burned. 
Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. A lot of pre-tribulation people, they say, I'm not looking for the Antichrist, I'm looking for the, the Christ. When you hear people say that, they're pre-tribulation rapture. And they're in error. Biblically, they're in error. Because the church in Thessalonica, they also thought in the uh, imminent return of Christ. And the Holy Spirit says, Paul, Paul, write another letter to them. Because they're freaking out. They're kind of nervous. They're getting scared. And so Paul says, hey, don't be soon shaken. He writes in his second letter, don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter. Hey, don't, it's, it's not going to happen. I mean, it, it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen unless this happens first and this happens first. This happens first and this happens next. What happens first? The falling away. And then what comes next? The man, man of sin is revealed. When is the man of sin revealed? The middle of the 70th week. Look at verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that, is, that he is God. When does that happen? The middle of the 70th week in accordance to Daniel the prophet and Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. The same thing that our Lord Jesus Christ references in Daniel 24. The middle of the 70th week. The abomination of desolation. And I'm not a mid-tribulationist either. Mid-rapture theory. Now, if you're listening and you're pre-tribulation rapture, come out of her, my people. I love you. And listen to the message. You might have to scroll for a little bit, but listen to the message. When is the rapture of the church? It is not before the 70th week. It is well into the 70th week. Don't forget, there is another prophecy. There is another prophecy where there's this falling away, which is going to happen if it's not already happening right now, the apostasy, the church becoming apostate. But there's another prophecy that will happen where the mockers of the last days will say, where is the promise of His coming? Do you know who's helping to fulfill that prophecy? The pre-tribulation rapture people. The ones who say, oh, the Lord is imminent return at any time. The imminent return at any time. In the beginning of the 70th week, you're going to see this peace treaty, a covenant with many. You're going to see the rise of the Antichrist who comes in peaceably. And I've had these conversations very recently with the pre-tribulation rapture people. And they are the ones who say, when the mark of the beast comes, or if you think this is the mark of the beast, whatever, whatever mark there is, it's okay to take. It's okay to take this mark. Whatever mark it is. Why do you say that? Why do you say that? And this is what they tell me. Since we're still here, and we know that the rapture is pre-tribulational, that anything that happens before this pre-tribulation rapture, it's okay to partake of. So the pre-tribulation rapture, they say, okay, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. 
because you're still here. That means you haven't been raptured yet, so it's okay. Do you see what's happening? We're under attack. <laughs> Do you see what's happening? The pre-tribulation rapture people, they say it's okay to take the mark of the beast because we're still here. The reformed theory people, they say it's okay to take the mark of the beast because once saved, always saved. Do you see what's happening? We're under attack. The church is under attack. Where in the world are the pastors? Where in the world are the elders who have their secret lives? They have their secret lives, living their secret lifestyles. They haven't renounced the hidden things of shame. They, the people come to church, they listen to their message. And they, they learn about how the, the lilies of the field. They learn about the sparrows of the, the air. So-called pastors who whisper sweet nothings into the ears of God's people. Not their people, God's people. Who are ill-equipped. I say ill-equipped, but in some cases not even equipped at all. For the days to come. And Brother Paul says, let no one deceive you. Not just let no one deceive you. He says, let no one deceive you by any means. You know what's happening in the church today? We're letting deception inside. You see? We're under attack. If you're Catholic, if you're charismatic, if you're Pentecostal, if you're pre-tribulation rapture, if you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed theory, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. These days are evil. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. You see, Paul, who says of himself and this holy bubble, this entourage, who says of himself, we're the scum of the world, in accordance with the world. What we looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're the scum of the world. But it's for the saints. I love that so much. You hear me talk about this holy bubble. This holy entourage, these holy yo-yos. And yes, it is beautiful, but you know who perceives this beauty? The remnant. Those who are alive. The world? That's the scum. Why are you listening to this scum? Why are you listening to this filth? That's the world. But we're not of the world. You're not of this world. You're not meant for this world. This world is not worthy for you. This world is not worthy of you. You say, well, okay, that's it. That's, a, that's an extreme. That is elitist. Well, I'll take you to my reference point. In Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Beautiful, beautiful women here. Beautiful women. 
in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, there's men too in Hebrews 11, but beautiful women in this particular passage, you know, uh, to my sisters in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, women, women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. You see, wow, you know, denounce Jesus Christ, renounce Jesus Christ. And you get to live. Renounce Jesus Christ and you get to keep your leg. If you don't, I'm going to chop off your leg. And they said, no, not accepting deliverance. Go ahead, take my leg. Go ahead, take my arms. Go ahead, take my head. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. You see, just like you hear us talk about all the time, a better marriage, a better husband. And what do we see here in verse 35? A better resurrection, a better deliverance. You want my leg? Take my leg. You want my arm? Take my arm. You want my head? Take my head. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Still, Others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Look and see what the Roman Catholics did to the saints. Sawn in two? They did worse. Read about what they did to pregnant sisters in Christ. Pregnant saints. Read about what they did to them and their babies in their womb. Read about what the Roman Catholic Church did to the saints. Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's probably free. A couple years ago it was free. It's like 99 cents now maybe. But free or 99 cents. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs and read what the Roman Catholics did to the church. Not the Roman Catholic Church. The Church of God, the saints. Not saints according to Roman Catholicism. That's unbiblical. Read about it. Church history. The persecution of the saints. Read about what they did to men, to pastors, teachers, teachers of the, 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 the holy bubbles. Read about what they did to them. Putting them in Roman Catholic torture chambers. Why in the world does a so-called church even have a torture chamber? They say, oh, that, that was a cultural thing. You know, everybody had it. All governments had it. That was a cultural thing. I'm not, there's no, yes, I understand what you say about culture. What about church culture? Under the God who never changes. Under the banner of Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, and you're talking to me about culture? Why in the world are there torture chambers in Rome where they killed Christians? Where the Roman Catholics, under the Pope, they tortured the saints of God. Why is it that there were torture chambers in Geneva under John Calvin to torture and kill the saints? Why? Oh, that was cultural. It was a cultural thing. Culture, that's the world. World culture, I get that. But what about church culture? Under the one who never changes, who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You hear me talk about a time machine. You know, let's go back in our time machine. Let's go back in our time machine. How many times do you hear us say that? Old Testament, New Testament. Let's go back in our time machine. Now, if we were really to have a time machine and we all get inside, I don't know, you know, we might have to have several buses. 
And they're all linked to one another. And we go back in time. And we meet the saints. We might speak a little different. We might have a little different frame of reference, culturally speaking. We might dress different. But that unity under the one who never changes, who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, it would still be there. Church culture. I don't, I'm not talking about culture of the world. So many people make excuses. Oh, that was cultural. These torture chambers in Rome, no, that's, that's cultural. These torture chambers in Geneva, in John Calvin's Geneva, where they tortured people, where they killed Christians, where they killed the Anabaptists, Waldensians. That's cultural. But if you and me and all the listeners, if we were going at Time Machine and we're, we go back and we have our garb of present day, we have our vernacular of present day, and we were to go back in time to you know, uh, the church in Corinth, Chloe's household, every single one of us should be a perfect fit in that fellowship. Yeah, we might speak a little different. We might share some laughs of like, well, you know, look, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm wearing a shirt that says L.A. Dodgers. You know, and they're like, what are the Dodgers? What is baseball? There's going to be that, you know, the, that fun of learning like where we're from. What, the, the, But we should meld perfectly. Perfectly. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We might dress a little different. We might have a different frame of reference. but we should meld perfectly. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 36, still others had trial of mockings of scour- and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sought in two. They were, te- they were tempted or tested, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy you see you hear me say the world is not worthy of you you're a believer in jesus christ and you hear me say this world is not worthy of you i don't just pull that out of my hat you're in good company when this world is not even worthy of you Because you're not of this world. You're a believer in Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, who is coming again. And all the kingdoms of this world will be given to him. All the governments will be placed on his shoulder. Shoulders. That's who you are. That's who you are, my friend. That's who you are, my brother, my sister. That's who you are. See, and it's coming. Every jot, every tittle. This will be. This will be history. I mean, you hear me talk about, you know, uh, the the harlot, the the uh, the the uh, the mother of harlots. It's gonna be history one day. 
I mean, at this juncture in time, we look forward to, I mean, not look, look forward, but we look for, like, these are in future time, not we, not we look forward to these things, but we look forward to the aftermath of it when the return of Jesus Christ, the return of the King, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But when we have our glorified bodies, it's going to be history. This will be officially in the history books. And you and me will have our glorified bodies. But this world isn't worthy of you. You're not made for this world. I mean, if, if, if you walk around, you go to the grocery store, you hang out with people, you go to work and all these people, sometimes even family, and it's like, wow, you just don't, you feel like a fish out of water. Rejoice. Because this, it testifies of this very fact that this world is not worthy of you. That's beautiful. That's nothing to be shunned. I mean, the ungodly shun it. The wicked will shun it. Those who are perishing will shun it. But those who are alive, rejoice. Because it testifies of your citizenship, which is in heaven. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 6, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. I love this so much because Paul goes straight up. He goes to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Let there be light. Let there be light. And there was light. He goes to Genesis creation. Let there be light. And there was light. And he says, it is this God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts, this, the workers, this holy bubble, this entourage, the light of the Lord who brought light into this world, who said, let there be light. This holy bubble are, they also have light and who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul and his workers, this entourage, this holy bubble, they're like igniters, and they light candles, they light torches, but they light. You say, I don't believe. I'm not a believer. I've been listening for the past whatever time period it's been, and I'm still not a believer. You know what I say? Cut it out. Cut it out, my friend. God loves you. Don't play games with Him. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Receive Jesus Christ. Because He loves you. And you hit pause. And then you commit, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ, and you come back, you listen. And it is said of you, this world is not worthy of you. Why? Because you just stamped your... Your passport was just stamped. Your citizenship is in heaven. Your heavenly passport. Boom. Right here, right now. Today is the day of salvation. In verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Remember, we're not glorified yet. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Remember? John the Baptist, I must decrease, he must increase. He has his disciples, he has his students, and this, Jesus Christ comes, and his students, the disciples of John the Baptist, what do we do, teacher? 
teacher, what do we do? You've taught us and we followed you. You taught us. What do we do? There's this guy on the scene and he's saying this, he's saying this. He, what do we do? And John the Baptist, he doesn't, it's not a competition. He doesn't say, oh, you know, follow me, follow me and keep tithing, keep tithing and follow me. And, you know, if you guys leave, then I'm going to lose my money. And, you know, I need to buy my mansion. I need to get my private jets. I need to have my several limos over here. I need to get my house over here, my house on this beach, my house on this beach, my house on this beach. Keep, you stay with me. He doesn't say that. That's what you see in the world among the hirelings, among the defunct, not in the holy bubble. But in the holy bubble, what do you see? Just like John the Baptist, go to him. Go to him. I must decrease and he must increase. You see? There is such an immense beauty with loneliness in Christ. If you're a worker, if you're part of the holy bubble, part of this entourage, not to say that if you're in the field, if you're in the building, not to say that that's ugly. It's beautiful. But if you're a worker, not in the field, but if you're a worker ordained of the Lord, appointed of the Lord, there is a loneliness associated with that. A loneliness which in this world would be devastating. But because your citizenship is in heaven and this world is not worthy of you, it is of the utmost beauty. Because there's really no solitude. It's intimacy with the Lord. Oneness with Him. And so we see this in verse 8 being said of these workers, this holy bubble, not the field, not the field, not the building, but of the workers you have to make these distinctions because what happens for Christians today, they misapply the scriptures. They, they look at these verses. They say, I'll, I'm going to read verse 8. They say, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. And they proclaim these things. We are hard pressed on every side. Meanwhile, they're leaven. And I don't say this to like hurt anybody's feelings. But I say this because it's happening. They say, oh, we're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Wait a second. We need to go. If, if you have an abundance of the works of the flesh, and you lean on, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, and you have an abundance of the works of the flesh, you, let's not apply this verse yet. Let's apply the verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's address the carnal nature. Are you leaven? Yes, I'm leaven. Okay. Repent. Repent, 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 repent. Oh, I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. How old are you now? 50. You see, repent. Oh, but my pastor told me once saved, always saved. He was wrong. Bro, you're mistaken. My pastor was a female. Oh, we got another issue there. She was wrong and you're also wrong because you shouldn't be under her. You shouldn't be her student because she can't be a pastor. Biblically, she can't be a pastor. <gasps> you're so mean. How could you say such a... I'm just a messenger. 
The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. The spirit of the Lord isn't going to deviate and say, hey, let's go grave soaking. Hey, married couples, go and learn from this female pastor. Hey, uh, uh, males, go and learn from this female pastor who has her female elders. No, being led by women, that's another sign of the times. Read the prophets. Now, I get it. If you're female, I get it. I understand. I mean, it's like Esther's age. We're, we're, we're like under the age, the, the, the period of Esther where, the, you know, all the men are defunct. All the men are babies. All the men are betas. I get it. I understand it. But if you're female, you need a male covering. Even Esther, Esther had uh, 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 Mordecai, Mordecai. Even Esther had a male covering. You need a male covering. If you're female. If you're male, you still need a male covering, just like Paul. And then in marriages, you know, your covering is Christ. See, Christ the head of the husband, husband the head of the wife, and parents the head of the kids. That's the model. I'm just the messenger. That's the model. Oh, but I'm on my third marriage. Oh, I'm so sorry that your previous two wives have died. No, 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 they're still alive. We have irreconcilable differences. Okay. Let me tell you something, brother. Repent. Because you're in sin. Repent. Be right with the Lord. And go and sin no more. This third wife you have, repent for your previous two marriages that you've left the Lord in that regard. Repent. Be right with the Lord. And this wife that you have now, that's it. No more. No more wife number, you know, irreconcilable differences with her and then wife number four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. No. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. How could you say such a thing? I'm just the messenger. So many people apply these scriptures, you know, they're... they're of the 1 Corinthians chapter 3 class, and I don't mean to like classify the church, but you know, in some regards I do. Their 1 Corinthians chapter 3 class, where an abundance of the works of the flesh, and they are babies in Christ. Now, if you're a baby in Christ, praise be to the Lord if you're like one month in, two months in, but if you're a baby in Christ and you're two years in, that's not good. So many people apply verse 8 here. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. That's what they say. Oh, yeah, I'm hard-pressed on every side, but I'm not crushed. I'm not defeated. You know, God is good. Wait a second. Look at the makeup of the church here in 2 Corinthians. This is a remnant that we're speaking of, and people who have been brought back into the church, former leaven, who have been identified as leaven, now they're brought back into the church. This is a different church. 2 Corinthians is a different church. It's the same church, but it's a different, different Consecrated. First, if you have an abundance of the flesh, it's not to say that these verses are not for you. But let's put these verses to the side and let's focus on other scriptures. Let's look, let's look at Corinth when they were babies, just like you are a baby. And I don't say that like you're a baby. I mean it like you're a baby, but it's beautiful to be a baby. Now you need to grow and mature, and then we can put these... It's like saying, you know, 
you, you want to apply sixth grade education when you're in second grade. It can't be done. You want to apply a fifth grade education when you have to go through third grade. No, let's focus on third grade first. And then let's go to fourth grade, fifth grade, and then sixth grade. It's the same concept. It's not to say that it's not for you. It's not to say that a sixth grade education is not for the second grader. It's just not yet. It's just not yet. So let's apply. If you're carnal and you have an abundance of the works of the flesh in your life, let's go back to 1 Corinthians. Yes, you're a baby in Christ. Yes, I wish I could speak as to spiritual people, but you're still carnal. There's still these divisions. There's still these factions among you. There's still these factions in your heart, in your mind. And my hope is that we can grow and mature to where we can speak and teach on these deep spiritual matters. And yes, that can be for you in 5th grade, 6th grade, 7th grade, but not yet. You need to master Kindergarten first. You need to master first grade, second grade, third grade. And let us be a people that moves on to perfection. I don't say this as an elitist. But I say this because this is what we see in the word of God in the church in Corinth. Second Corinthians is a different church from first Corinthians. It's the same church, but the makeup is different. Those in the household of Chloe were the minority in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, it's the majority. So we see this in verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side. Paul is speaking about the workers. Not the field, the workers. We are hard-pressed, which is afflicted and suffering on Every side, yet not crushed, yet not distressed. We are perplexed. I love this. He says we are perplexed, which is, you know, there's no way out. There's no way out. Like say, say you and me were on patrol, military patrol in a dangerous environment. We receive fire. You know, they miss. And so we take cover. And it was like bullets are flying everywhere, explosions everywhere, RPGs everywhere. And it's like, man, there's no way out. There's no way out. That, that's what this means. We are perplexed. What do we do? We're at a loss, to be at a mental loss. What do we do? What do we do? We're receiving fire incoming. Rounds are flying and boom, boom, boom. What do we do? And I love that so much that Paul says we are perplexed but not in despair. What does that say about planning? What does that say about planning? So many times people ask me, ministry leaders, they ask me, what, what is your five-year plan for the ministry? You know what I say? I don't know. What is, what is your five-year, what is your 10-year plan? Okay, you don't have a 10-year plan? What is your five-year plan? I don't know. Whoa, what kind of pastor are you? You don't have a five-year plan? You don't even have a 10-year plan? What is your one-year plan? I don't know. Whoa, what kind of pastor are you? What is your one-week plan? I don't know. <laughs> What is your one-day plan? I don't know. Do you know what my plan is for the fellowship? Circumcision. That's my plan. If I can proclaim to have a plan at all, that's my plan. Circumcision of the heart. Circumcision and refinement. 
That's it. That's my plan. For every single day of the fellowship. Circumcision and refinement. That's my one minute plan. That's my one year plan. That's my one decade plan. That's my plan until the end. Circumcision and refinement. Outside of that, the Lord calls the shots. The head pastor. He calls the shots. Oh, but we're under fire. There's no way out. There's no way out. We are perplexed is how it translates in verse 8. Look it. The Lord is a very present help. He answers prayer. He provides clarity. He provides instruction and direction. But when you read the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, you know what you see? It's in real time. Real time. When, When he does it for a future time, the majority of times he does that, it's not even for that generation. It's for another generation. But when the Lord help, when people ask the Lord for help, and he help, it's in real time. That's what you see in the book of Acts. You see that in the Old Testament, it's in real time. Intimacy with the Lord. What's your plan for the fellowship? What's your plan for the fellowship? As for me, circumcision and refinement. That's it. Outside of that, the Lord calls the shots. Even inside of that, the Lord calls the shots. Oh, but don't you want this? That's the Lord. You know, that's the Lord's. I'm not the head. Say, for example, you're CEO of a company and I'm your director. I'm your employee. I, 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 I'm in charge of whatever. And you're the CEO of a company. And, you know, you, you are, you, you, you're the shot caller. And then you, you see on the news, you know, we have, we're a public, publicly traded company and you see our stock values. Everything I say, which goes into the news, it, it, it affects our stock value. And so, you know, you're, you're watching the news, you're watching the financial news and you see the reporter ask me a question for a Fortune 500 company. And the, 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 the interviewer says, hey, you know, what's your, what's your plan for the company? And then I, what, 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 what's your goals in the next five years? And then all of a sudden I start to say, well, in the next five years, we're going to do this. Our research and development department, we're focusing on this. And everything I say, you're like, wait a second. That's not what I want to do. You're the CEO. And you're like, that's not my plan. And here I am on the news. And you watch them real time, the stock value. And all of a sudden, you start to see the tick, a little uptick, then down, down. Little up, down, 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 up, down, down, down. On the news, I'm calling the shots. But in reality, you're calling the shots. That's what it's like with pastors. Pastors are servants of the Lord. He calls the shots. You don't call the shots, pastor. You don't call the shots, elder. The Lord does. You're a servant unto him. That's what I love about this. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. Lord, what do we do? There's no way out. We're receiving fire. We're at a loss. Lord, what do we do? We fall on our face and we seek the Lord. We fall on our face and we seek His face. Just like Moses, just like Aaron, just like Joshua. You see? Just like Jacob. Just like Hannah in her intimacy with the Lord. Intimacy, intimacy, intimacy. 
Lord, what do we do? And a very present help in real time. So many times people say, oh, I'm not going to call in the name of the Lord, but when, I'm in need, when I need help, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live like a, uh, like a, 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 I'm not even a believer and I'm going to live like hell. But when I need help, I'll call in the name of the Lord. You see, there's no intimacy. Or you have baby Christians. I'm going to have this a little bit of works of the Spirit, but a lot of the work of the flesh. And when I call on the name of the Lord, I'm going to have regard for iniquity in my heart, and I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. You know what the Bible says? The Lord will not listen if you regard iniquity in your heart. But what about when you have you don't regard iniquity in your heart? Not just... You know, oh yeah, you're not committing the sin with your hands, but what about what's going on in your mind? Obedience of, to Christ in your mind. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And you have this deep intimacy with the Lord. And you ask of the Lord, Lord, what do I do? Boom, answer. Lord, what do I do in this situation? Boom, answer. I don't say this to boast, but there's times when I've prayed and the Lord wakes me up in the middle of the night. Read this. I open up my Bible. I start to read. Boom. Answer. How can I boast when I don't even know you? I want to know you, but I don't know you. Except this guy. Except this lady. (laughs) How can I boast when I don't even know you? You see, I tell you these things from experience. We are perplexed. Lord, what do we do? What do we do? There's no way out. We fall on our faces before the Lord. And in real time, answer. So yes, we are perplexed, but not in despair. This is like, you know, if you're a carnal Christian, praise be to the Lord that you're a Christian, but you know, let's... Let's mature in Christ. Let's put away those things which so easily ensnare us. The crack, no more crack. The sex, no more sex. The alcohol, no more alcohol. The little white lies, no more little white lies. No more tax cheating. No more Ouija boards. Put it away from you. What's going on in your mind? Renounce those hidden things of shame. What's going on in your secret lifestyle? Renounce those hidden things of shame. You see? Persecuted. He says in verse 9, but not forsaken. You see these verses? So you're a, if, for example, you're a carnal Christian, and you know, I mean, make a measurement. Make this determination. You can even write on a piece of paper in the last week. In the last week. Right, get a piece of paper and put a line in the middle of it. And on the left side, write down. The last week. I mean, if maybe the last day, depending on you know the levels of things, but maybe just yesterday. Write down the works of the flesh on the left side. And on the right, di- right side, write down the works of the Spirit. You don't have to share with anybody. You can burn it when you're done. But write down a list. And you know what we should see? For all of us, myself included. 
we should see the list on the right as more than the list on the left. That's what we should see, every single one of us, myself included. If you see the majority of your list, there's more items listed on the left side, the works of the flesh, okay? That's to say that verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken. That's to say, okay, let's table this for a little bit. Let's put this to the side for a little bit, and let's focus on 1 Corinthians chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. You know, you're a baby in Christ. You have an abundance of the works of the flesh. You're a baby in Christ. Not to say that this isn't for you. It's to say that it is for you, but not yet. You need to master these other things. And this, in the course of time, the following week, the following day, the following whatever, do the list again. What's the, the abundance of the works? Are they of the spirit? Are they of the flesh still? Okay, then keep growing, keep maturing. And then you're going to see the change from the list on the left become smaller, 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 and the list on the right becoming greater, 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 the works of the Spirit. And then when that happens, now we get into 2 Corinthians. Now, you know, now as that list on the right starts to grow, something else is going to happen. You're going to be hated more and more and more. It's going to testify that this world is not worthy of you. When your list on the left side, the works of this flesh, is great, the world will love you. You can even call yourself a Christian and the world will still love you. Yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe, but yeah, sure, let's go ahead and go to the strip club. Yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe, but let's go ahead and tell these little white lies. You know, it's good for taxes. I'll say these little white lies and I'll get this extra money from the government. And here, look, I'll even write a check to the church. Look, it's good, it's good. It's the blessings of the Lord. Don't call that the Lord. And that's the works of the flesh. Walking in accordance to Adam. Of whom must die. The more that list on the right grows, walking according to the Spirit, in accordance to Christ, not Adam, to Christ, the second man, capital M, the more the world will hate you. And I tell you from experience, the more the world will hate you. Carnal Christians will hate you. They'll call you mean. You're so mean. You're so crazy. You're so stupid. You're such a legalist. But even that alone testifies that this world is not even worthy of you. Then we can apply 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always Always, always, always in verse 10. Always, always, always here. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body or shown and declared in our body. That's what he says. Always, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always Always, another always, always in verse 10, always in verse 11. Always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. You see, remember the book of Acts when we studied the book of Acts? How many times did we see the persecution of Saul? Not just Saul, but Saul and those in his bubble. Remember the home invasion? How many times do we see the persecution of the saints in the book of Acts? 
for Paul, those in his bubble, and the recipients of the yo-yos, the recipients of you know this holy entourage and the influence of this holy entourage, people who had committed them into their conscience. And what do you see? Their persecution. How many times do we see that? All over the book of Acts. Old Testament and New Testament, you see that. God's people. The closer you get with the Lord, the closer you get to the Lord, the more this world will hate you. Always deliver. We who are we who live are all are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal bodies. Also may be manifested in our mortal bodies. So the uh, the life of Jesus is manifested, but also the dying of Jesus manifested in these workers, in this holy bubble, in this entourage. In verse twelve, so then death is working in us but life in you. Death is working in the workers, but life in the field. Death is working in the workers, but life in the building. You see? It's a holy transfusion. It's a holy transfusion where blood leaves the worker and gives life to the field. Blood leaves the worker and gives life to the building. The field lives the building lives and rejoices. The worker dies and also rejoices. It's a holy transfusion. Do not let your transfusion be to old wineskin. Who you commit to your conscience. Do not let it be old wineskin. You have a pastor or elder or pastor and elder, who have not renounced the hidden things of shame, do not commit such a person in your conscience. But those of the holy bubble, the Lord has them as patterns for you. So that you can grow. And as you grow and mature, that you yourself can become a pattern. And then the Lord calls you into ministry. Hey, I want you to be a pastor. Hey, I want you to be an elder. Hey, I want you to serve in tables. Hey, I want you to serve in whatever capacity. That's the, Lord, the head pastor's call. The CEO of every church. You see? This holy transfusion. Death is working in the worker, but life in the field. You see? Verse 12. In verse 13, in closing, and since we have the same spirit of faith, you see oneness here. It's the same spirit. Koinonia in the ecclesia. Koinonia. Not koinonia with the grave soaker. Not, okay, yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to renounce the hidden things of shame. And yeah, I'll, I'll teach this, to teach a topical message on this, that, a little bit of this. Nothing bad because I don't want to hurt your little feelers. I'll teach this. And then afterwards, we're going to have a nice lunch. And then we're going to have a, a nice grave soaking session. No. No. Unity among the saints. Unity among the saints in unity, in sound doctrine, the word of God, truth, truth. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. I love this so much because the same spirit that compelled David 
also compels Paul, the same spirit that compels the workers to speak and teach and preach and proclaim. That's the same spirit. The spirit of the Lord, who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I never change, saith the Lord. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus, the rapture of the church, the resurrection will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you, you see, in our glorified bodies. And remember, the living will by no means precede the dead. Verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. This is biblical unity. People say, oh, you're so divisive, you're so divisive, you're so mean-spirited. Is it really mean-spirited? When truth is being taught, and what does truth do? Divide. Remember Jesus? He says, do not think I came to bring peace. I came to divide. And within that division, when it's the Lord who does that division, of that remnant that is being refined, of that remnant there is peace given by the Prince of Peace. There is peace. That's why Paul says, you guys, you guys are already rich. We, the workers, we're the scum of this world. But we do this, it's for your sake. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And it's for you that death is for us, but for you, it's life. For all things, in verse 15, are for your sakes. It's for you. In obedience to the Lord, yes. But who are the benefactors the saints. You see, the workers, Paul being beaten, left for dead, the entourage, the holy bubble, the scum of the world. In accordance to what he says. But understand that this world is not worthy of holiness. And it's for the saints. For all things are for your sakes. That grace having spread through the many. May cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. It's all for God's glory. To honor Him. To praise Him. And in worship of Him. Remember in the Old Testament. How many times do you hear us say. Nothing mangy. Nothing mangy. Nothing mangy. You hear it all the time with great exhaustion. Nothing mangy. Nothing mangy. You know what happens to us in accordance to the new covenant? When we praise the Lord. Nothing mangy. When we worship Him. Nothing mangy. When we honor Him. Nothing mangy. You know what's mangy? Works of the flesh. Works of the flesh. You see. That's mangy. Nothing mangy before the Lord because He is holy. And since He is holy, you be holy. That's what Moses says. Oh, that's Old Testament. I'll follow the Old Testament. Okay, Peter says it too. Boom, there you go. The Lord is holy, therefore you be holy. The Lord is holy, therefore I be holy. The Lord is holy, therefore we be holy. Behold Koinonia. Ecclesia. Verse 16, in closing, therefore we do, not, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, translates as rotting, 
rotting and decaying, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day, is being freshened, is being it's new and being youthful day by day to my old brothers and sisters. You might feel, man, my body is decaying, my body is rotting. Praise be to the Lord, because the inward man, the inward woman, let it be refreshed every day. Let it be new and youthful day by day. As you exhort the next generation, as you teach the next generation, as you pour into the next generation, as you are commit your life to be new wineskin, as you reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead, and new wine pours into you and flows out of you and into all around you. A lot of times people think, oh, I'm old, I can't do anything. Praise be to the Lord. Because God can do it. Let your very carnal limitations, your limitations of the flesh, testify that it's the Lord doing it. Oh, I'm old, I can't do this. Lord, I'm old, I can't do this. I feel so bad. No, turn it around. Flip the token. Rejoice that you can't do it. Because the Lord can do it. You see? Verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's just a vapor. It's just a vapor. Understand that. It's just a vapor. Your problem, whatever it is in this life, it's just a vapor. This life is just a vapor. You know when it's cold out? And you go outside and you just breathe. All you got to do is exhale. And you see your breath, a little smoke in front of your face. And you see your breath and all of a sudden it goes away. That's what the Bible says this life is like. It's just a vapor. It's just a vapor. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory or abundance of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, this is eyes of the flesh. Paul says we don't look through these eyes of the flesh. We don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. You see, eyes of the Spirit. Eyes to see and ears to hear. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal you see it's just a vapor make this distinction in your life that this life in accordance to what we see with carnal eyes it's just a vapor but with spiritual eyes we see the eternal we see paradise we see our destination which is home with the lord jesus christ Son of the Most High. Beautiful people of the way. God bless you. I love you.